um, letter again. And firstly, I want to just say thank you to Jenny Tate, who's not in church this morning. She's at Children's Church, Jam City, um, for providing those prayers and insights and things as to what's going on with COP27 for the last two weeks. It's quite a lot of work that she put into that. Um, so thank you to Jenny for that. But it just, it changed my focus this morning. So I think God was just trying to say something to me. So I'm going to first read Psalm 19 for it. Um, I'm actually going to read the whole psalm. It really did inspire me this morning. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from the willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let us bow our heads. Father God, we come to you today with humility, with gratitude and with love. We know you are here with us. We know you, you see all the things of this world and what each one of us is doing and going through. And you stay with us. You give us strength and courage each day. You call us to love one another and to love you, to serve others and serve you. Father God, we need your help to do this every day. We are not strong enough on any day to not need your help, to not be guided by you. When we do anything without you, we get it wrong. Help us all, Father, to seek you in all decisions and in all tasks. This morning, Lord, I bring to you the people of Ukraine, the people of Poland. We bring the families mourning the loss of lives and various vehicle accidents around our country in the last three weeks. There have been so many fatal accidents on our roads, Lord. Give the survivors healing and courage, Jesus. 
give the families that have lost their loved ones comfort. Lord, we also bring before you this morning ESCOM and the load shedding. We lift up the people that are affected by it, the water shortage, the sanitation problems created by this load shedding, the loss of income and jobs. So many lives, Jesus, are affected. Please help us to navigate quickly through this to finding cheaper, easier, better ways. Only you can do this, Lord. I lift up this morning all those that are ill and ask for your healing. You are the healer, the comforter, and the provider. Lord, thank you for all things. Thank you that we can come to you with all our problems, our questions, our worries, our pain. You are our true Father, our God. We worship you and praise you. May all things be done in your glory, to your glory and honor. Amen. Praise God.
everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. again and firstly I want to just say thank you to Jenny Tate who's not in church this morning she's at Children's Church Jam City um, for providing those prayers and insights and things as to what's going on with COP27 for the last two weeks it's quite a lot of work that she put into that um, so thank you to Jenny for that but it just it changed my focus this morning so I think God was just trying to say something to me so I'm going to first read Psalm 19 for it um, I'm actually going to read the whole psalm. It really did inspire me this morning. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. 
nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from the willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let us bow our heads. Father God, we come to you today with humility, with gratitude, and with love. We know you are here with us. We know you, you see all the things of this world and what each one of us is doing and going through. And you stay with us. You give us strength and courage each day. You call us to love one another and to love you, to serve others and serve you. Father God, we need your help to do this every day. We are not strong enough on any day to not need your help, to not be guided by you. When we do anything without you, we get it wrong. Help us all, Father, to seek you in all decisions and in all tasks. This morning, Lord, I bring to you the people of Ukraine, the people of Poland. We bring the families mourning the loss of lives and various vehicle accidents around our country in the last three weeks. There have been so many fatal accidents on our roads, Lord. Give the survivors healing and courage, Jesus. Give the families that have lost their loved ones comfort. Lord, we also bring before you this morning ESCOM and the load shedding. We lift up the people that are affected by it, the water shortage, the sanitation problems created by this load shedding, the loss of income and jobs. So many lives, Jesus, are affected. Please help us to navigate quickly through this, to finding cheaper, easier, better ways only you can do this, Lord. I lift up this morning all those that are ill and ask for your healing. You are the healer, the comforter, and the provider. Lord, thank you for all things. Thank you that we can come to you with all our problems, our questions, our worries, our pain. You are our true Father, our God. We worship you and praise you. May all things be done in your glory, to your glory and honor. Amen.
Thank you very much for having me here this morning. Lovely to be here with you. Um, thank you for uh, the warm introduction. And um, yeah, I attend uh, Musenberg Methodist. Uh, we've been doing so for the last uh, couple of months. Um, I'm a congregational minister. I was serving a church called East Claremont Congregational Church. And then I went to Scripture Union. We moved out to Musenberg and it was kind of in the time of COVID. We couldn't really settle anywhere. Uh, we tried one or two churches, and then we came to Musenberg Mets, and uh, just a really lovely family there, and I know obviously you share um, the minister, and, um, and then Richard Meadell booked himself and said, hey Grant, why don't you do both services? So I came running across from um, Musenberg. <laughs> Richard's one of your guys, isn't he? So yeah, that's right, yeah. Actually, I, I um, did holiday, holiday clubs, camps with Richard years ago, um, with Scripture Union, when he was still doing that, and I thought I'd just take a moment, if you don't mind, as we start off. Um, perhaps you're familiar with it, but Scripture Union puts out a reading annual, a uh, Bible reading annual. It's a devotional book. It takes you from um, January, beginning of 2023, all the way to the end, um, 31st of December. And I would uh, like to offer you the opportunity to, to purchase one of them. Um, I think it's a great uh, way for us to engage with God um, and in prayer and His Word. The wonderful thing about Close to God is, I mean, there are many of these kinds of um, Bible reading notes. Uh, you can get a hold of them on your cell phone, and perhaps you even use um, an app on your cell phone. The wonderful thing about this is that it's South African or Southern African, um, and it, all the writers in here um, are in some way connected to South African. There are plenty of resources that we import from America and England and, and, and. But it's also nice to have South Africans writing for South Africans in South Africa. So it's 135 rand. Um, I was going to bring along some to leave at the office with Tracy, but um, I don't know, for some reason we've run out of stock to share with churches. I will get some, and I'll leave them at the office, and when Tracy has them, she can let you know if anybody wants to grab a copy. Otherwise, you could always come into our bookshop. I'm sure you know where that is on the edge of uh, Rondebosch Common um, is, is where our offices are. Yeah, um, can I encourage you? The guy's name in my church was Sandy Greer. He was the guy who stood up here in front and said, listen, I've got a list of things to, that we've got to fix up at the church. It's, it's nice to know that it's not different. You know, it's all the same in every church that you go to. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Um, Sandy Greer used to stand up and say, it's the work party on Saturday. Please, can we have people to come along? And they were coming in drips and drabs. So maybe I can give you a plug as well for coming along. Um, why don't you join on, on Saturday? It's always good. You know, um, it's, it's one of our philosophies of Scripture Union is that it's in the doing that relationships are built, right? And so, yeah, sure, you're going to be banging and sanding and painting, but it's, it's in the doing that the relationships among the congregation are built. So come along, even if you have two left hands um, and, uh, you know, you, you don't feel like you've got a whole lot to contribute in terms of the practical side of it. It's just good to be with the congregation and spend some time together. There you go. That's a... Now, you got that for free this morning. Um, I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2 um, as we get into the passage this morning. I think it will pop up behind me um, from the NIV, um, and then we will um, spend a bit of time um, thinking about what these, this passage means for us. So, if you want to follow with me, um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we are thankful for an opportunity to open your word in freedom, um, to seek to understand its words for us as we wrestle with its truth and its application to our lives. Thank you that we do not do that on our own, or it's not by our own wisdom and understanding, but in dependence on your spirit, that you would shine your light on these words and our hearts, that we may hear from you this morning. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. So, uh, when I arrived at, um, at East Claremont, uh, there was a minister's fraternal that gathered. They gathered all over the Cape Town, and uh, we had a gathering at, at East Claremont, and we were sitting in the hall having lunch, and then we went around the circle, and people were just sharing a little bit about who they were, churches that they were in, and, uh, and what they did for fun, their hobbies. And as they went around the circle, I listened to all these ministers, and they had these great hobbies that they were doing. One was a yacht sailor, the other one, I can't remember what all the hobbies were, but I realized that my life was a little bit drab and boring, so I decided I need to have a, have a hobby. Um, so, to my wife's chagrin, I decided to buy a Ford Capri, a 1972 Ford Capri. Who knows what a Ford Capri? You must, you know, yeah. Fantastic car. Just, I mean, one of the most beautiful looking cars that was in my price range, at least. Um, uh, they, they call it the Baby Mustang. It's, um, they came out in a 1600, 2-liter uh, V4, a 3-liter V6, the bezel green Piranha V8, 5-liter. You see, I got into it. I knew all of this stuff, right? Um, bought it down from Joburg, um, had it resprayed, the original color, apple green, and did all kinds of work in it to get it um, looking neat and clean. And, um, but it's obviously, it's a two-door, it's a sports car, right? Um, and low slung, you know, and you look cool driving around. That's a cool minister cruising around, you know. Uh, <laughs> but then um, when we came back from there, my wife was pregnant, first child, two years later we had our second child. And a two-door car is not very practical getting to car seats in the back of the car, right? Um, you can break your back, you know, flipping forward the seat and trying to get your kid in and out and just became a little bit impractical. And so it had to go, um, unfortunately. Though that was my decision and everybody I said, listen, I'm gonna sell my Ford Capri. They said, you're gonna regret it. You're gonna be sorry. And I said, no, it's the right time. You know, I've had my fun with it. Must move on. Um, and yeah, I suppose, um, I hate to admit it, but I think they were right. <laughs> I do regret it now. I look at a four copy drive past. There are many of them on the road now that are in any kind of original condition. And yeah, I'll just give my eye teeth to have another four copy. 
But I tell you that because I think um, we are generally like that as human beings, and I think it applies to our faith as well, that what can tend to happen is that um, we don't really value the things that we have until they're gone. We don't really value the thing that we have right in the moment. And that's why the saying exists, youth is wasted on the, on the young, right? Well, what does that mean? It means the same thing as that story about the Capri. Is that, that if, if only I could be back at 18 or 21 or 35 or, you know, it, because look at those young people. They don't realize what they've got. They don't realize the value of having a Ford Capri. Now it's gone. And I think that that is what Paul is trying to get across to us as he opens in Ephesians chapter 2. Because our salvation, sometimes this is how we treat it, it that it's a door um, through which we walk, that we are saved by grace and we open the door and we walk through the door of salvation, we close it behind us and then we're off on our Christian life and we, we, we're serving Jesus and we're doing whatever he would have us do and we, we're walking in his ways and we're striving to serve him but we leave far behind us this door. And I think Paul is compelling us and telling us this morning that if we ever leave that moment behind, we won't be able to live the life that Christ calls us to live. Because he prays a pretty drab picture. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. There are no degrees of deadness, right? You're dead, you're deader, and you're the deadest. No, right? Either you're dead or you're alive, right? And, and, and fundamentally, uniquely, that's the one thing in life where, where there aren't degrees, are there? It's a line that you cross. Either you are one side of the line or you're the other side of the line. And you don't even get to choose to step across that line, really. It's not something that we have control over. I mean, you, you don't attend a funeral service, forgive the illustration, and some guy just kicks the top of the casket open and he's alive again. It doesn't happen. Although in John 11, Jesus does call someone out the grave, doesn't he? But that's the point, isn't it? It's a miracle. Coming back from death to life is a miracle. See, the Bible doesn't say you were ignorant in your sins. You were asleep in your sins. You were hibernating in your sins. You were lost in your sins. It says you were dead in your sins. And he's meant to be giving us, Paul is giving us that picture that it is only by a miracle that you cross that line from death to life. It is only by what God, what, and even though it's John 11, right, John 20 is the end of John. So it seems like it's in the middle of Jesus. It's not in the middle of Jesus' ministry. It's, it's right at the end of his ministry. 11, 12, it, you, you're at the, at the, at the um, he's washing the feet. 13, 14, 15, he's in the upper room. 16, 17, it's, it's the high priestly prayer, and then he goes out to be crucified. It's, it's right there at the end. And it's meant to be a, a physical picture for us of what Jesus does spiritually. That Jesus calls people out of the grave, and it is only Jesus that calls people out of the grave. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. And unless we realize that we are hapless, that we are helpless, that we are hopeless without Christ, we, we will never truly value salvation, and we'll always be walking with kind of a, 
a half-truth of what it means to be in Christ. I'll come back to that in a minute. It says, we are dead in our transgressions and sins in which you used to live. What are our transgressions and sins? That is why we're dead. Are you a sinner because you sin, or do you sin because you're a sinner? Sorry, it's Sunday morning. I know you were hoping something easy. <laughs> now you're thinking, right? We, we sin because we are sinners. There's something within us. I mean, how many of you taught your children to sin? Sinning classes, what, time, what age did you teach sinning? Right? You must, you must brush your teeth, you must wash your face. You, what age? You don't, right? It just naturally, there's a waywardness within us as human beings. And because we are sinners, we sin. We commit many sins. Fundamentally, there is a brokenness that is in us that is right from that day when Adam and Eve chose disobedience and their own willful way against God himself. And all humanity stands in the wake of that one moment. If you like, sin can be described because we often focus on sins. Do you do this or didn't you do that or whatever it may be, you know, the, the individual moments or decisions. But sin fundamentally is building your life on anything except God. It's building your life on something good, but it's not God. People do that all the time. They build their life on work. They build their life on their, 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 their home. And they, that gives them their sense of self-worth and, and value and significance in their life. They build their value on the amount of money in their bank account. They build their value around their children. When their children leave home, their lives collapse. They build their lives around. We all build, we, we're meaning makers. We build our lives around things, on things. And if when you build your life around money, it leads to all kinds of different sins. When you build your life around your career, it leads to all kinds of different sins, the actual things that you do. But but fundamentally, that's what he's saying. That's why he's not even scared to include us. So he just says, all of you were with them at one time, under the rule of the air. You were disobedient. You were following, um, uh, basically, you say you're following Satan. You're living out your own life, building your life on things that cannot. He's not embarrassed to say it because those words make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? Ruler of the air, spirit who is now at work. That wasn't me, really, was it? Yes, it was. You were building your life. If your life wasn't built on good, you were building it on something else. And you are building it for yourself, for your own aggrandizement. And so, Paul is, is unashamedly clear about the foundation. And then he says, because of that, you are objects of wrath. I don't know what picture you have in your mind um, when you read objects of wrath. It sounds very Old Testament-ish, Right? God standing with a lightning bolt waiting to launch it down at some, right? I don't know what picture, but, but you know that's the picture. But it, wrath is just a, another word for God's right judgment against sin. It says right anger is right judgment against sin. We all want judges who make the right decisions, right? And that's what we want. We want our judiciary packed with people who are unashamed and fearless in calling out wrong. That's all God does. We're very happy to have good judges there. Oh, in heaven, maybe we want a little bit of leniency, right? But God is unashamed and clear in giving the right judgment over us, which is we are sinners, and because of that, 
because he is holy and we are fallen, we are under judgment for all the things that we have done. Amen. Can we go home? No. Oh, you want, the, you want uh, verse 4? Because if you miss verse 4, you've missed everything that Paul is saying. Because the, the verse 1 to 3 is the bad news. But verse 4, if you saw it or if it's open in front of you, starts with the adversative. But. But. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Thank the Lord for that but. Right? It's the change where he says there is hope because up to the end of verse 3, it sounds like we are absolutely hopeless. We're on our own. We're under judgment. We're sinners, condemned. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were fallen and broken and lost makes us alive. We were dead. We used to live at one time, but something happened. And it's God's great love that motivated him to do something. Love in our world is used in many different ways. It describes a lot of the time romantic relationships and affection, and that's not wrong necessarily, but when the Bible uses the word love in this sense, it is talking about action. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he did something, gave. Love is action. It's a doing word, not a feeling. That's not what the Bible is saying here. I'm not against love as a feeling. I'm just saying here, you must understand what he's saying. He sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us. He did something for us. And because he has done that, we can now be with Christ or in Christ. You see, the, 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 the meaning of this passage is actually in, um, in, the, in the small words. He made us alive with Christ. And God raised us up with Christ. We are seated with Him. We are in Christ. Those ideas encapsulate the gospel, this offer that we have. Because if our life is now with Him, We are linked to everything that happened to Jesus. That's the point. I'm now with Christ in his life. The perfect life he lived is mine. I'm with him in his death. The death he died, he died for my sins. I'm with him in his resurrection. The resurrection, victory over the grave is my victory over the grave. The ascension to, the, to his side is my ascension. He says, I mean, look, you guys are all seated here, but according to the Bible, you're not. Because at the moment, he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, either this is heaven or the Bible is saying something about our eternal destiny that is even true as you are seated here in this church. That's how much we are with him that has already decided that you are there in heaven with him. That's how much you are united with him that despite the fact that we linger here for a while on this earth until we go up to him in heaven, that because he is there, we're there. And his victory is our victory. And his, um, the forgiveness of sin that he won on the cross is ours. And his perfect obedience is ours. That's the glory of what he is saying here. That's the hope that we have. That's his great love for us. 
that He has won for us. Something that we could not earn and do not deserve. And that's where He goes um, from verse 8 onwards. We have received the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Then he says two things. This is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not from yourself and not by works. We have received grace. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the the, the clever way um, some people uh, like to encapsulate the idea of grace. They use each of the letters of the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, to stand for God's riches at Christ's expense, which I think is quite cute. Often those things, um, they don't truly capture, but this time uh, it does, actually. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what we get. That's grace. We have been received, and it is unearned. There's nothing that we can do to deserve it. Because if we do, then it's about me. And although I may not boast overtly, it is still based around me and it is because of my accomplishment and achievement, therefore God must. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by our efforts. It is, it is undeserved in that sense. The problem with grace is that there is so little of it in the world. <laughs> um, and I mean that in the truest sense of, 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 of full, true expressions of grace. There are expressions of grace, and I as a parent strive to be gracious with my children. I'm sure all of you do with your children and in other relationships. But, but truly, grace is antithetical. It is countercultural to most all what we experience in this world. Think about your work. You do your job right, and you get paid at the end of the month, right? That's the way it works. I, I work for my income, and I earn it, and therefore I deserve it. Work isn't grace-based, right? <laughs> Your boss doesn't come to you and say, um, so, oh, you didn't do it. No, that's fine. I'll pay you anyway. There's a meeting on Monday morning. Where are the sales figures? Uh, whatever it might, right? You must produce. And if you produce, then you get Grace is antithetical to that. It's even when he uses, there is the gift of God. Even, now maybe I'm going to step on some toes here. Maybe some of you are much better than me at this. Um, But Christmas is coming up, right? Think about present giving. Because you think they're gift and you think present and you think Christmas, right? Because it's, it's a gift. But isn't sometimes our present giving actually an exchange? It's not truly a gift. What did they give me last year? <laughs> How much did it cost? Yeah, I need to give them, you know, sort of, I need it. The present must be in the 200, 250 rand, you know, sort of bad. Yeah, yeah. Even our present, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't track with what he's saying here. When he says gift, he doesn't mean that we can give something to God and that he has given something to us comparable and there's been this mutual exchange as we would think of gift. Sometimes. I'm sure you're much better than I am. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? 
We, we are not programmed for this to be acceptable to us. We are programmed in this world that this doesn't compute. Think about it at school. You work hard, you get your marks in the exam by giving the right answers, and you're approved, and you pass the next grade. Okay, I know what you're all thinking. That some kids get pushed through. Like, so, okay, my illustration doesn't work all the way. But, but, but my point is that, that that's how exams work, right? But this is saying you get naught out of 100, and you're still acceptable. Because of Jesus' record. Because he got full marks for you on the exam. Doesn't, it doesn't compute for us. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't track on our lives, any of our other experiences. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Even the faith. Our faith is not a, a work that we do. It's not something that because I had faith, I was saved. Our faith is simply a response. It is a, a receiving. How do we pray? Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. Thank you that you died in my place. You lived the life that I should have lived. You died the death that I should have died so that I can be accepted, not on account of what I have done, but on account of what you have done. Your perfect record for mine. That's the great exchange at the cross. It's Jesus for us. Exchanged. Our unrighteous, dirty robes for His perfect robes of righteousness. We are clothed in those righteous robes. Even our faith is just a simple acceptance of that which is offered to us, receiving it into our lives. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. You've been brought from darkness to light, from death to life, from outside to inside from lost to found. That's the wonder of salvation. And I would put to you that unless we recognize the fullness of that salvation, we will never be able to walk out the life that He has called us to live. Unless you see yourself as utterly destitute, as hopeless, hapless, helpless, you will always treat your salvation as, as I lost a lot, he did a lot, and so I got a lot. You will always be in some way making up for some, however small you may consider it to be, deficit in the work of Christ because I still have to do something to be achieved, whether it is the regularity with which you attend church or the amount of money that you give or the number of right answers you give at Bible study or the service that you give at church or how many windows you sand at the work party or whatever it might be, right? Do you truly believe, truly believe that it is not on account of anything that you have done that you can be received? but only on account of what He has done. That's what it means to stay at this door and to revisit it on a daily basis. Jerry Bridges says we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That's, that's what this passage is doing. It's just preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. We never leave that point of entry, actually. He does call us to walk, right? He does call us to walk. And it's interesting that, that interplay that he has. So listen for the 
for the word work. It says, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so uh, one of the reformers would say, we aren't saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. You can memorize that. It encapsulates this passage. We aren't saved by good works, but for good works. And that's the miracle of salvation, that there's something internal that has changed in our lives and it starts to well up within us a difference and so it produces good works. And what does he say? That God has prepared for you to do beforehand, that you would walk in them. It's not like we've even got to find the works. All we've got to do is be obedient and faithful and just step into the things that he sets before us as he offers us opportunities to be as salt and light wherever we go, that we can just walk into them. We've got to fight for these things. We've got to we just walk into the way that Jesus sets before you. I think it's um, Spurgeon who said, um, the faith that sa- we are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. We are saved by faith alone. Nothing but faith. By grace. Through Christ's sacrifice. By that alone. But the faith that saves, the true faith that saves, is never alone. It is followed by our works of obedience. May those well up out of a desire not to earn. I suppose this is my my, my closing point. Really two things. Maybe let me close here first. Um, Maybe for the, the first time this morning, even if you have attended church regularly, You're being confronted with something in this passage that Paul is saying, that Christ has done. And it makes you question where you stand in your relationship with God. Have I truly come to him in humble faith to say, you have done it all. I've done nothing. And in humility, I receive that gift from you. Maybe for you, maybe you've been attending church for ages. Maybe you're here for the first time this morning. I don't know. But you would come into a relationship with God and say, that gift that is offered is the gift that I want. It's not on the basis of what I can give back to you. It's not on the basis of that. But that I can just freely receive that miracle that you would call me out of my spiritual grave and into life. If that's you, I'll pray. You'll pray in a minute. But perhaps, um, if you're anything like me as a Christian... I'm still fundamentally tempted to still earn and deserve, to feel good about my Christianity um, when I've had my quiet time in the morning, right? To feel like God really loves me um, when I gave money to the church, to feel like um, he really has his favor on me um, when I've been living obediently. Aren't we all like that? That we tend to? And and that's what it means to preach the gospel to yourself, is to break that tendency on a regular basis and drive yourself back to the foot of the cross and say, it's by grace alone. I don't need to do anything to achieve or accomplish or earn or deserve. All I need to do is have faith. That there's this full, free acceptance, despite my brokenness and even my disobedience and my failure even if it's the umpteenth time that we are received, not on account of what we have or haven't done, but 
but just freely according to grace. There is no sweeter sound to an ear who can hear that. Who has, if you have ears to hear, and to have that wash over your soul, to find that renewal and the hope that is in the gospel there. Let's pray together. So our gracious God, we come in absolute humility, not because because of anything that we have done, but only because of what you have done are we even able to stand in this place and gather in this fellowship. Lord, our salvation is not, I lost a lot, Jesus did a lot, I gained a lot. We freely confess we lost it all. And Jesus, you did it all. Thank you that we get it all because of what you did. And perhaps for the first time this morning, you would say to Jesus, in faith, I receive that. Embrace him. Reach out. But perhaps, again, it's just a moment this morning to, to return to the foot of the cross to celebrate and just to stand in awe of all that it means to have received the salvation full and free. We are not our own, Lord. We've been bought with a price. We belong to you. So lead us in the steps that you would have us take, that we may walk in the paths that are going to bring glory to you. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.
live in this town, but I felt we were lucky that the Holy Spirit pursued me to do that in the front and say. Close together in the word of prayer, and then do we do the benediction in Chewa? Perfect. Okay. Let's just let's pray, and then we'll do the benediction. So, gracious God, take us from this place, Lord. We are we are in your hands, and we place ourselves there intentionally. Although at times we tend to try to scurry away, but hold us there, Lord, in that place of vulnerability, and in that place of dependence, mm. that we would always be ready from the depths of all that you have poured into our hearts and into our lives, that uh, we would pour out the lights and the salt that you have called us to be into this world. We pray these things all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Robert, you have to lead us. <clears throat> Yes, Jesus, 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 Jesus,